Okay, so next up here on Environmental as Anything, we have a, um, a report from Ballina Courthouse where forest protectors Valerie Thompson and Kashmir Miller faced court on Friday the 16th of February, charged with a series of offences related to suspending logging works in the Double Duke State Forest. Ms Thompson stopped work in the iconic forest for 30 hours over the 9th and 10th of March in 2023. So the forest was subsequently placed under an EPA-imposed stop work order after Forest Corps New South Wales were found to have not even mapped the giant trees the forest is affectionately named after. In this uh, little piece, this little interview, there is, uh, first of all, Eddie Lloyd, the solicitor, who has done so much work to represent our brave forest protectors, and uh, then Kashmir Miller and Valerie Thompson, each speaking uh, to what had happened yesterday in the court. So I'll leave them to speak for themselves here on Environmental as Anything. Eddie, what's going on? Well, we've just been in to do the hearing today for uh, these wonderful tree sitters here, Kashmir and Valerie. Unfortunately, the magistrate is sick today, so it's been adjourned to the 31st of July and we'll be back here. It'll be, you know, a year and a half after the, the action of the tree sits, so it's going to be uh, a long time before we see some justice, unfortunately. But we will be here and we want everyone else to come along and support these amazing forest protectors as we run a necessity defence and let the court know that these two had no other option uh, but to sit in the tree that day and sadly both those trees they sat in, those giant trees were uh, logged down by forestry court. Um, so we'll be back here to get some eco and social justice for these two. My name's Kashmir. I'm here at Ballina Local Court where we've pleaded not guilty to charges under the Forestry Corp. Myself and Valerie did tree sits in Double Duke Forest because the logging there that is going on is unlawful and accelerating the climate crisis and the extinction crisis. Mm. And we are pleading that it was a necessity as the logging is unlawful and the trees that have been cut down, the habitat is being destroyed, that is threatening our vulnerable and endangered species cannot be reversed and is absolutely urgent that we stop. Yeah. Yeah. So my name's Valerie Thompson. I'm standing outside Ballina Courthouse. We've just been in to have our matter adjourned again in relation to both of us putting our bodies on the line and standing up and protecting our ancient and very, very ecologically significant forests that are in this Northern Rivers region. We are, we're here to basically make sure that this is not forgotten. The uh, Forestry Corporation are committing crimes in our forests every day and exacerbating species extinction and this needs to be stopped. So that's the sound of the crowd of uh, passionate supporters for those courageous and articulate uh, forest protectors whose justice was delayed yesterday at uh, Ballina Courthouse yet again and looking towards uh, July 31st before uh, they will be able to hope for a completion of those matters and a vindication of their actions uh, before the law. Uh, if you want to support uh, the uh, the efforts to end native forest logging and uh, help to support those uh, courageous 
uh, protectors, please come along to Ballina Courthouse on the 31st of July uh, and, uh, and join that growing movement. Next up, I will play for you uh, the interview that I recorded just this morning with uh, Susie Russell, uh, who is the Secretary of the North Coast Environment Council. Uh, She says that yesterday's announcement by the Environment Protection Authority that they are reverting to a rule that failed to protect greater gliders in the 20 years of logging it was operational is worse than high farce. I'll let Susie Russell uh, speak for herself, as she so ably does here on Environmental as Anything. Well, Susie, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything again today. There's been a, a heap of shenanigans going on in the New South Wales EPA uh, regarding the protection or otherwise of our greater gliders. Uh, can you tell us, uh, can you clarify uh, what is going on uh, with, uh, with our greater gliders now? Well, unfortunately, Sean, it's as otherwise. Uh, It's not protection. That's certainly not what's happening. So this is a saga. It started out um, in the middle of last year when a dead greater glider was found near logging in Talaganda State Forest on the state's uh, south coast. EPA issued a stop work order and they were quite strong in saying that the requirement in the forestry licence to log um, requires forestry to identify den trees. Now, greater gliders, um, like all the gliders, like so many animals, live um, during the day. They shelter during the day and raise their young in nests, in dens, in tree hollows. And uh, so, I mean, if you don't um, if you don't protect the tree hollows, then you're not protecting the greater glider. So, forestry were told that they are meant to identify the the dens, the den trees, but uh, they're um, looking their habitat searches. They're called. They do during the day. Now, their definition of a den tree is that you have to see a glider coming in or coming out of the tree for it to be called a den tree. So if you do your searches in the middle of the day, you're not going to see a glider, which is very cautious, and the greater glider is even more cautious. They don't tend to come out until well after dark. Um, You're not going to see a glider coming out of a den tree. If you're walking through the forest at midday, Um, supposedly also looking at the ground for koala scats. So not surprisingly, (coughs) forestry haven't identified any den trees through this broad area habitat search technique. So I I, I understand that in the 20 years the requirement was operational, Forestry Corps only found 27 glider den trees across all the state forests from Queensland to the Victorian border. Well, you're jumping the gun there, Sean, because uh, that's a requirement under... You're talking now about the requirement that was under the old logging licence, right, where they were meant to go out and do spotlighting at night. So uh, one of the things that's happened over the course of the last few weeks is the EPA has changed the rules and changed the rules again. Now, the first rule change they brought in said that uh, they were going to say forestry had to keep extra trees greater than 
And the forest near me, Bulga, where there's a lot of greater gliders, um, some of the sort of uh, quite steep forests now that are left on the escarpment, they said that the trees had to be greater than 80 centimetres. But when we went out and did some plots, we discovered those trees weren't there. There's not enough trees greater than 80 centimetres to make a difference. So the requirement is meaningless. We all jumped up and down, you know, two weeks ago and said, the EPA is actually taking us backwards because it's saying forestry don't have to look for dens anymore and it's saying there are going to be extra tree kept trees kept when in most cases there won't be. So EPA said, okay, 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 we'll go back and we'll have another go. So they came back yesterday with this requirement that said we're going to bring back the spotlighting. So as forestry have to go out and they have to, you know, do a kilometre of transect for every 100 hectares of forest and et cetera, et cetera, uh, to look. But the thing is that that particular rule is it wasn't about looking for dens, it was about looking for greater gliders. And when I went and checked yesterday how many dens they had found in 20 years of logging, as you say, between the Queensland border and the Victorian border, all the state forests where they did that spotlighting, they were 27 records of den trees over 20 years. So now, you know, the EPA said to, it yesterday, said to us yesterday, well, we're bringing that in. So forestry, as long as they've done that, then they've looked for dens. But we know that that technique doesn't find dens. Mm. So really, we, we're no better off than we were, than we've been, uh, in terms of trying to protect greater gliders um, forever. Because the thing about a greater glider is they're the easiest animal to protect because they have a really small home range. It's only like a 100-metre radius or so from, from you know, their, their home, their favourite trees. And so, you know, if you see a greater glider and you put a 100-metre uh, radius circle around it, you know, make a buffer, um, I sort of say, okay, three hectares, greater glider protection zone, and there's another greater glider, and we'll put another greater glider protection zone, and you do that across the landscape, you will be protecting those greater gliders. I mean, they will largely have their home ranges protected. It's not that hard. It's not like an animal, like an owl, that, you know, flies hundreds of kilometres. Yeah. So they're they're relatively easy to protect, as you say, and yet their population is in precipitous decline. It's fallen. It's estimated 80% over 20 years. So when I became a forest activist many years ago now, um, greater gliders were common. It was like, oh, you've seen a greater glider. Oh, you know, that's nothing. You know, they're common. They're everywhere. Um and they were easy to spot. And now they are endangered because so much of their habitat's been destroyed because the fires wiped out so many old trees with hollows. Um, logging has wiped out so many trees with hollows and continues to do so. And they're also uh, vulnerable to climate change because they don't like the heat. So is there any way in your view that uh, logging in native forests can be made compatible with uh, protecting greater glider habitat? 
Well, certainly not logging in native forest where you've got uh, large trees or you're trying to grow large trees. I mean, I think we have to remember that once greater gliders were common right along the east coast and uh, forestries managed to wipe them out of many of the coastal forests by removing all the big old trees. Uh, they had a program called Timber Stand Improvement. Can you believe it? And um, and that wiped out a lot of these old trees. So they're already gone from so many forests. And no, there's certainly logging. Um, uh, logging in those forests is not compatible with um, protecting greater gliders. I mean, there are areas of forest where there's no big old trees. Logging there won't make a difference to greater gliders. Um, but they're not the only animal we're trying to save, are they? No, no, indeed. So uh, I know you've got limited time. What can people do to help for the greater gliders this week? Uh, I think writing to, uh, ringing up, ringing up or writing to um, Penny Sharp, uh, the Minister for the Environment, the Premier, and just saying these, these animals are unique, they're endangered, and what they are doing, the policies that they are implementing are literally driving these animals to extinction. And we haven't got long, you know. They, they're, like I say, in 20 years, the population has absolutely plummeted. If it keeps on that trajectory, in another 20 years, they'll be gone. Well, let's hope we can pull it up before then. But, uh, Susie, thank you for filling us in on the latest for that uh, here here on Environmental. Is anything again today? Okay. Well, good on you, Sean. And um, we're not going to stop trying to save them. We, we'll, we will we'll do or die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good Thanks, luck. Thanks, Susie. That was Susie Russell from the uh, North Coast Environment Council. Uh, well known to many listeners as uh, one of the heroes of the uh, forest protection movement in New South Wales, and uh, speaking there about the, the 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 threats, the real and imminent threats to greater gliders posed by native forest logging. So um, another good reason to get out there in the forests and uh, get involved in some direct action to stop that. Uh, uh, those that that logging from finally exterminating those extraordinarily uh, beautiful creatures. So if 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 there was a a uh, an award for the world's cutest uh, critter, uh, the greater glider would really have to be in the the uh, the finalists. It's a it's an absolute uh, stunner. But anyway. Um, We've got uh, plenty more to come here on Environmental as Anything. We've got uh, an interview. I'm going to be talking to uh, Sam down there in Victoria. Um, that's uh, He's a, a volunteer fiery and uh, has been affected by this latest bout of climate chaos down there. So I'll be uh, having a bit of a focus on the Victorian climate chaos uh, over the next half hour and, uh, yeah, wrapping up the show with uh, with somebody who managed to get in and have a bit of a cheeky moment where the actual questions were asked in a press conference uh, of uh, our Prime Minister. So that's uh, we'll be looking forward to that later on. Uh -huh. Okay, so uh, next up in environmental as anything, I'm going uh, to uh, to be talking to Gnomes from uh, Rising Tide, who's uh, who's got a story to tell about uh, trying to get that message across to Albo. 
Well, what we need in this country is consistency. My government consistently will address cost of living pressures. Through our energy price relief plan through cheaper medicines, through cheaper childcare, by addressing cost of living pressures. Mr Albanese, climate change is a health emergency. I'll take, I'll we are in a health emergency now, mate, and you're ignoring it. Climate change will destroy the future. So that is the sound of Prime Minister uh, Anthony Albanese fobbing off uh, questions from the community, preferring to speak to the uh, professional journalists, apparently, uh, not getting such a tough grilling from them, it seems, because uh, they're not asking the hard questions about uh, the climate emergency. But uh, not everybody is uh, so easily silenced. And I have on the line one of them, who's Naomi Hodgson, who's a volunteer community organiser with Rising Tide uh, and uh, uh, in, uh, a, a long-term climate activist, who was there uh, actually asking those, uh, those difficult questions of our Prime Minister. Uh, Noams, thanks for joining Environmental As Anything today. Thanks for having me, Sean. No, you're most welcome. And, you know, that was a courageous action yesterday. Uh, that was on the central coast at Lakehaven at a, a presser that was uh, ostensibly about Medicare, but uh, uh, there was a range of other questions being asked. What, what, was, that, uh, what was that like for you being there? What, how, did, how did you feel about, uh, you know, that opportunity to actually ask the PM some of those questions? It was certainly nerve-wracking to be there in front of the Prime Minister and a whole array of different media cameras, but it felt like an opportunity too great to let go. We were tipped off that he was going to be there and uh, we just think that the general public needs to be reminded about the urgency of the climate crisis at every opportunity because the government is still taking us in the exact wrong direction and we have no time left to waste. Mm -hmm. So an opportunity like that to get our message out um, on the national stage um, was just too great to let go. Yeah, so just in case people missed it, what was it that you were uh, asking the Prime Minister to, to... What were the questions you were trying to get him to answer? The key question is why they're still approving new fossil fuel projects um, when all of the science is unequivocal that we need um, to stop approving new projects. Um, we need a rapid um, decarbonisation process um, to to move to net zero emissions or to zero emissions as quickly as possible, um, and yet... Uh, the Albanese government has approved four new coal projects um, since they come, came to power and um, there's another 25 um, currently under assessment, assessment an additional 25 proposals mm. and, um, and they, they, they haven't, you know, there's, there's every indication that they'll just go through, like that the, um, the environmental um, assessment law has been allowing them to go through. So without them providing any commitment otherwise we um we don't we have no reason to believe that they're not just going to continue approving um coal mines into the future they have no um they have no plan to transition um fossil fuel dependent communities away from dependency on these resources and they're taking australia into um the era and um realm of climate catastrophe like mm. climate, complete climate breakdown mm. 
Yes, well, we just had uh, the last half hour of the show dedicated to the uh, the, the chaotic uh, climatic scenes happening in uh, in Victoria this week. So, yes, there's all the evidence under the sun. We're broadcasting to you from Lismore, where we've experienced some of the worst yeah. of it too. So we've yeah. all seen it. It's happening across the country. Um, with the you mentioned the EPBC Act, I think they were talking about the environment, the mm-hmm. federal environment laws. Uh, do you think that at this point the federal government is hamstrung? Do they have to keep approving coal mines and uh, gas uh, gas uh, uh, explorations under uh, the existing laws, or, or do they have the power actually to do this now? I mean, like they have the power. They're the federal government. Like they could be like assessing the. Um, the impact of these fossil fuel projects, coal and gas projects, on matters of national environmental significance, which are currently legislated to be considered under the existing law. So even without changing the federal legislation, they could be rejecting um, coal mines. Mm. And and they're the federal government. They should be showing leadership. They need to protect um, the current society and economy and future generations. But obviously, yeah, as Lismore and many other communities around Australia know too well... Um, the climate crisis is here now and it's um, devastating lives currently and, and um, it's, it's only accelerating um, and they're putting fuel on the fire by continuing these um, fossil fuel expansions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, and of course, one of the one of the features of that uh, video that people couldn't uh, hear over the radio was the gentleman who stood out the front with the, uh, I think he said, no new coal, uh, a little placard, that a homemade placard of his own. Uh, I understand that uh, that is Ian, who is an ex-coal miner and ex-power station worker and also your dad. Yeah, that's right. I was actually there with both of my parents. Oh. Um, so, yeah, um, dad worked in the, um, in the Hunter Valley um, and the Victorian um, coal industry for most of his working life. Um, and, yeah, he, he he's a strong advocate for um, a transition plan um, to support um, workers and their families and um, and their communities, like the community in the Hunter, where, Hunter Valley, where we're from, um, to to transition in a... Um, in a a sustainable and a, and a, um, a well-managed way so that um, people are not left suddenly without um, without jobs for the future. Well, Naomi, look, uh, courageous action, uh, you know, a great uh, effort to get that out onto the national uh, agenda and to, to, to add to that, uh, that conversation uh, Australia-wide. I know that you've been working hard uh, for Rising Tide, one of the most effective and powerful uh, uh, community actions that I've ever seen in the in the 30-odd years that I've been involved in, uh, in uh, environmental action. So thank you for your work and for, I hope it's, uh, you can, you, it's ongoing. Absolutely is ongoing and um, thank you um, for, for those kind words. Um, we have another um, mass action coming up at the end of this year. So um, the flotilla where the, the people's blockade of the world's largest coal port um, we held it last November. We're holding another um, even bigger one um, this coming November. So um, we're inviting um, thousands of people, like as many people as possible to come and um, blockade the coal port for um, a, a number of days where we're aiming for like like at least twice as big as what we had last year, which was pretty epic. Um, I know you were there, so um, yeah, we 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 need to escalate because um, yeah, as I said, time is running out. I think a lot of people know it, 
um, and there's there's safety and power in numbers. So when we come together and take peaceful and inspiring action, um, we can we can make a difference and um, help help to catalyse transformative change. Well, that's what we believe in Rising Tide anyway. Oh, I certainly believe it. I was uh, you know cannot recommend highly enough that people get involved. I mean, what really could could be better than a massive festival of democracy whilst mucking around in boats and stopping <laughs> coal ships. I mean, like, really, it's it's good, good, good. Good, it's a good time. <laughs> okay, Naomi, look, we'll talk again soon about Rising Tide again, I suspect. Fantastic. Thanks yeah. so much, Sean. Thank you. Bye. That's Naomi Hodgson, uh, a volunteer community organiser with the Rising Tide uh, there in Newcastle and uh, long-term climate activist who's just had the, 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 the courageous action of getting up and, uh, and speaking out during a, a press conference, respectfully uh, asking questions of the Prime Minister in that forum where questions were being asked and answered by others. So uh, good on her. Uh-huh.